We have a problem. What a way to start things off. Yeah. Always gets everybody nervous. I gotta turn this stool over. Here we go. Now I'm comfortable, even if everybody else isn't. We have a problem. One of our culture's unique characteristics has become one of the church's biggest uh, biggest problem. As as uh, we take pride in our independence and individuality in the USA. Uh, it's one of the things that sets us apart from other cultures in the, in the world. Other cultures do things we I, just, I can't even think like this. They, they think in terms of family group. And don't, we, and, and everybody's, don't ever shame your family. And, and you get you know, do what your family thinks you ought to do, or they think in terms of their group. And, and we don't—we're not group people, are we? We're—so uh, <laughs> we don't really laughing at me. You know, we're individuals. I can do it myself. Thank you very much. I can make up my own mind, and if you try to get in the way, I pity you. Uh, I, I'll figure out how to make this work, and if I can't figure out how to make this work, I'll do without. Thank you. That's what Google's for. YouTube. I'll find somebody on there that no, no, I'll do it myself. Is that DIY? DIY or die? Some of you are going, well, so what's wrong with that? It's the American way. That's exactly right. And can-do attitudes like these help us in many areas of our lives. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It really has been helpful. And I, however, unfortunately, following Jesus is not a do-it-yourself project. Pause here and tell the joke. Because that's one of the things I do. This happened in a part of the United States that, well, it was in Michigan. Guy went, went to church and, and the pastor was preaching about how uh, you shouldn't, uh, you, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't run around on your wife. Oh, that's right, that's right. Amen, Pastor. Preach it, preach it. That's right. He's talking about how you shouldn't shouldn't uh, shouldn't say bad things about people. Amen, Pastor. That's right, that's right. And Pastor started talking about how you shouldn't steal things out of other people's garden. It got real quiet. He didn't say anything. And Pastor stopped and said, Brother Jones. What's the matter? Why'd you stop saying amen? And he said, well, I was fine when you were preaching, but when you started meddling in my life, I got mad. I'm going to be meddling, folks. Because we're all, we're, we're, this is a problem for all of us. So, you know, if you think if 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 I'm stepping on your toes, I've been stepping on my toes all 
Well, see, this I started planning this series a couple of months ago, so I shouldn't say I've been stepping on my toes. Jesus has been stepping on my toes, and I've been trying not to preach this sermon. So here we go. Following Jesus is not a do-it-yourself project. It requires a team effort. So how do you determine if you're attempting to follow Jesus as a do-it-yourself project? Well, I'm going to just ask some questions. I like asking questions. Um, every one of us has to deal with these on our own, answer them for ourselves and with the help of God's Spirit. Do you feel stuck in a cycle of promising to do better for Jesus, uh, only to let him down and then make more promises and then What's your purpose for praying, reading the Bible, attending worship meeting or other, other gatherings? Do you do spiritual activities to be happier, more successful, and to live a better life? How important is it to you to have the right answers? to gain some sense of respect and or social status in your circle. How often do you feel exhausted with your own attempts <clears throat> to change or with frustrated with other people who just aren't changing the way you think they need to change. Do you find yourself? No, yeah, strike that. that. I'm editing even now, right? Do Do you compare yourself to others in the church family or to other? other followers of Jesus, do you compare or do you actually even find yourself competing maybe? Do, do you compare our church with other churches? Do you feel like we have, are in some kind of a competition? What causes us to have this sense of this do-it-yourself spirituality. Uh, this sense we could need to follow Jesus on our own. Now, now part of it is our culture. Part of it, that's just the way we're, part of, we just, that's just kind of, that's the way it's almost bred into us to think like that for just about everything in life. But uh, one of the primary uh, causes is, is we have an inadequate view of, uh, of what it means to follow Jesus and, and what it means for us to, to 
to change, to become more and more like him. So we tend to convince ourselves that the, the problems in our life and in terms of following Jesus are all out there. Oops, not in here. It's out there. It's in the world. It's other people. It's how other people act. It's, it's the bad people in the world. It's the, it's the bad social conditions of the world. It's, you know, if we just get the world fixed, I'll be okay. We start this chant of if only statements. Well, we don't say them out loud usually. I mean, sometimes you can hear them out loud if you're listening, but we may not say them out loud to ourselves, but they're inside. If only my spouse, if only my parents, if only my boss, if only my coworkers, if only my kids, if only my church, if only my neighbors, if only my customers, or my, if only the people own the store, if only the president, if only the Democrats, or if only the Republicans, or if only China, or if only, if only, if only, if only, only those folks would get their act together all of us have experienced pain in our lives and, and we build up these walls to protect our, uh, our our inner selves our souls, our hearts, our spirits or, or whatever else we would, would call that center of our being we construct those walls to shield ourselves and, and that by doing that we shut out everything that might need to change us and our focus then becomes altering behaviors on the surface and resolving problems out there and if we just get a better attitude What if the attitude problem is something that starts in here? It isn't going to change until you change something that's in here first. All these things, they just keep us from growing. As long as we're trying to change something out here, when the problem's in here, we're not going to change. No matter how hard or how long you try, as long as we're persisting in deflecting and blaming and avoiding and trying to protect that our inner self, our soul, our spirit, our heart, whatever you want to call it, as long as we're trying to hide that, we're going to prevent any kind of growth or change from happening in ourselves. And the situation and circumstances that are not the issue. 
Uh, how many times have you heard this statement? Or something like it? The, the problem isn't what happens to you, it's how you respond to what happens to you. Have you heard that? Go ahead, you can raise your hand, nod your head. I'm like, you've heard that kind of thing, right? Okay. What do you do about how you respond to what happens to you? Because like 9.9 times out of 10, we respond off the cuff without really processing it in our soul, in our soul, our spirit, our heart. We don't, we don't, it's just something that happens, it hits, and we respond without any kind of reflection, without any kind of thought. And that response comes, and then afterwards, that was a mistake. I wish I hadn't said that. Oops, I wish I hadn't done that. Why did I act like that? Oh well, I've always been that way. Well, that's one of our other problems. We start making excuses. I've always been that way. Well, if we're going to change to become more like Jesus, we're going to stop being the way we've always been. Well, I've been this way for a very long time. Somebody reminded us this morning at the beginning of this particular worship celebration that the spirit that is in us is greater than all that other stuff, including the way you and I have always been. That feels like meddling, but you know, you're like, I don't know. The guy that wrote the Bible, he's pretty good. Got at least one person behind that. Yeah, okay. All right. So, what resources did God provide for you and me to, 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 to deal with this? I'm glad you asked. If you didn't ask, I asked for both of us. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, I'm going to read verses 11 through 16. We're in. We're in uh, we're following this idea of maturity, of growing and changing and maturing as, as followers of Jesus uh, through the letters and the, the books of the New Testament section of the Bible. And today we're in uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Now, I'm just going to pause for a moment to remind us that when we say Paul's writing to the Christians in Ephesus. He wrote uh, somewhere around the middle to the, toward the end. So somewhere between 50, maybe 60, 70 AD. 
toward the end of the first century, middle to the toward the uh, end of the first century. He wrote this letter, and we say to all the city, you know, it's written to a whole city, and we think, oh man, it must have been thousands of people reading this letter. Okay, so let's let's we need to put ourselves back in history several centuries. We now live in the 21st century, so we're going to go back 20 centuries. There were not billions of people even in the world at that time. There were millions of people. And Paul was writing to one city the Christians who lived in that one city. And the Christians were a tiny minority. So he was probably writing to maybe a couple of hundred people gathered in house churches. No mega churches, no rock and roll bands, worship bands they uh, they weren't they weren't on Facebook <clears throat> they didn't have you version they didn't all have a Bible in their hand or a other device it was really different So he writes to them in this, this book. He's talked to them already about the wonderful things, the amazing things that God has done for us through Jesus. And, but he's continuing now, and he's talking about what Jesus has done for us now. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11, he himself, it's Jesus, he's been talking about Jesus, King Jesus, our King. He himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. So we are no longer to be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ who is the head. From him, the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every ligament as each one does its part the body builds itself up in love so primary primary actor the primary force in these verses first of all is Jesus King Jesus Jesus himself gave some Jesus himself brought through his sacrifice and his victory on the cross and coming out of the tomb and being seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Uh, things that Paul talked about in the first few chapters 
By God's grace, God has made Jesus the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus himself gave some. The body is the church, but we are the body of Christ. We're not just a group of people who belong to a club. We are the body of Christ. He is the Son of God. We are growing up into his stature. Christ's full stature is the measure of what maturity is all about. He is the head, the source of the church. It's out of him that the whole body grows. He's the focus. That's the first thing we need to get a hold of. The second thing is the saints. It's plural. This is one of the things that's a real struggle for us when we go to read these letters. And it's hard for us because English is one of those languages. Is, is, English does not help us with our individual, independent mindset. Because you singular and you plural are the same unless you're from other parts of the country. But when it's printed, they print them exactly the same. Most of the time, when you see you in Paul's letters, it ought to be translated all y'all. Not just you, like in you kind. Or you, Tom. It's all y'all. But what happens when we, good, independent, individualistic Americans, read you is we think it's just talking to me. That's one of our problems. He's not just talking to me. He's talking to all of us. All we all. I just made that up. That's not even a word in Tennessee or Mississippi. Uh, don't blame them for that. All right, the saints. Saints of the body of Christ. We all are part of this. We, the mature, uh, in this passage, a mature person is the whole group. Just like the body is the whole gathering of the saints, the mature person is all of us together. We mature together. We, he says it twice, the whole body. Each part of the body is what works, has to work together for the body to grow. And in this, Jesus himself gave some. Some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers to equip the saints, all of us, for the work of the ministry. My friend and your friend, Pastor Mike Henry, puts it this way, the Spirit doesn't call all saints to equip the saints. 
but he calls all saints, all of us, to serve sinners and saints. Some, Jesus has set apart to serve saints by dividing, by equipping all of us to serve those outside the church and those inside the church. Dan Wilk wrote, the, the end game of the gifts is, is to provide, not to provide a stage or a platform for those who have the gifts, but the end game of the gifts is to train others to do what comes more naturally to them, to do what they do, and to help us all become mature in our walk with Jesus. And when a person doesn't help others with and through their gifts, they're totally missing the point. See, you go to First, yeah, First Corinthians chapter twelve. I, I've come to the place where, by the way, you go. I'm, I'm, this is not in my notes, but it's a free, so this is what I call a freebie. I don't have spiritual gifts. I am a channel as an individual. I am a channel through whom God gives gifts. God works through me to give gifts to you and to others. I really am, we, we've we've had this whole this whole mindset has developed that these are my gifts, baloney. That's a nice way to say thanks, especially when you're in church. First Corinthians chapter twelve says is that the Holy Spirit gives gifts for the benefit of the church. He works through individuals for the benefit of the church. The question for followers of Jesus has never been if we are called to serve others. We are all called to serve. Instead, the question has always been who and how and where are we called to serve? Oh, and Paul in this whole mix of Jesus building up the church and calling all the saints into service and, and giving some to equip them to be more effective in service tells us that part of that process is that we're going to grow and mature. We're going to build up the body of Christ and we're going to attain unity in a faith and in the knowledge of Jesus, knowing Jesus, and we're going to become Mature as we attain the measure, we attain the full measure of Jesus. And we're no longer going to be tossed back and forth uh, like children by all these kinds of wild and crazy and awesome sounding speeches we've heard. Uh, we're going to practice the truth in love. We're going to learn how to live the great commandments, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors ourselves. So what or who is going to tie all of us together? 
Who's going to bring all these individual followers of Jesus together into a united body? You probably already know the answer to this because you've been paying attention. But just in case it slipped past you, Jesus rules over everything and everyone. He's the one who brings us all together. Jesus is over and before everything. That is the only point. If you get nothing else out of this sermon, please remember this. Jesus is over everything. Jesus is the center of the focus of our attention. We are called to be the church that Jesus is building. Period. It is so easy for congregations to put their put facilities and budgets and programs and opinions and, and ideas and, and leaders and performance and music and numerical growth and, and being cool. And I, there's so many other things that, that, that churches uh, can, can be distracted by. There's so many things that we can be distracted by. This, the, as a pat, you guys probably don't get the ads I get, luckily. I get all kinds of ads uh, in my email box, on my phone, the phone here at the church, the phone at my house, the phone that I carry in my pocket. I get, I get all kinds of stuff. The latest and greatest plan is build your church. All you gotta do is do, 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 do. send us money and we'll tell you the rest of the secret. You know, it's always like, they'll tell you X, Y, and Z. Uh, oh, and by the way, to know the rest of the alphabet, we need your money. Here's what I know from the Bible, from personal observation, and from talking to other pastors about what really God has called us to. Healthy churches make it all about Jesus. Period. The focus is Jesus. Jesus is over everything. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus. He, Jesus gathers us And when Jesus gathers us, we can be in it to win it together. So that uh, that's the uh, sermon in a sentence. I I stole it from somewhere. I don't know where where I first heard that little phrase. In it to win it, it just rolls off the tongue so easily. In it to win it together. Uh, if if we're not in it to win it together, we're not in, we're not in it, and we're not going to win it. One of the things that the enemy of the church wants to do is to get inside our heads and get us to start comparing ourselves to others, to somehow begin to compete. Yeah, comparison and competition are are kind of like two sides of the same coin whether we want to admit it or not. Uh, and every time that happens, that's just, it is 
first of all, a distraction. Because we are no longer looking at Jesus, we're looking at other people, or other churches, or other followers, or we're just looking at ourselves and Um, so it's first of all distraction and the second thing it does is it cuts division because whether I think I'm better than other people or worse than other people I'm automatically setting myself apart from everybody else Comparing and competing constantly creates winners and losers. And whether I think I'm the winner or the loser, I'm going to set myself back. Spiritual growth and maturity are group activities. Now, I don't mean super large groups for all my introverted friends. Some folks have a hard time believing this. I'm an extroverted introvert. And don't ask me to explain that, but it's true. Uh, I can be extroverted for a little bit, but after a while, I need to go be by myself for a while. Like this afternoon, I'm going to be by myself for a while. No, I can't. I can't. Oh. oh, boy. Oh, boy. Ah. <laughs> uh, Spiritual growth, we need at least one or two people that, that we can really be honest with and we can let those walls down with and who can actually ask us questions about, hey, what's going on inside? Like, you've, you've been fighting this attitude issue or you've been, you've been saying, I'm going to change this habit for a long time. What inside of you is keeping you from doing that? I'm only asking because I love you. If I didn't really care, I'd just leave you alone. When you have a friend like that, and your first response is, well, I really wish you'd just leave me alone. Your second response ought to be, but I'm going to thank God that I have a friend like you. Who's going to love me enough to poke me, prod me, meddle with me? Because you see, spiritual growth and maturity are group activities. And they don't drive us apart because the closer we grow to Jesus, the closer we can be drawn to each other. And Jesus said it takes two or three. You don't need thousands. But the truth of the matter is, the easiest place to get lost is in a crowd of a thousand people. The hardest place to get lost is in a group of two. You know, that friend that looks you in the eye and says, so what's going on inside? You can't just sit there and act like they didn't ask you. So, how about those tigers? <laughs> well, you can try it. 
if they love you, they ain't going to let you get away with it. So, just a quick, come back around full circle. We asked some questions earlier. What did you determine when I asked those questions earlier? When I ask about attempting to follow Jesus as a do-it-yourself do project, let me review those questions. Do you feel stuck in a cycle of promising to do better only to fail? Do you pray, read the Bible, attend worship meetings to be happier or more successful? How important is it to you to have the right answers so you can gain some kind of respect or social status? How often do you feel exhausted or frustrated with yourself or other people because changes just aren't happening like you think they should? Have you been distracted into comparison and competition? Spirit, here we are. know where each of us is individually and you know where we are collectively <clears throat> some of us our walls are so thick that we're not even letting you in request is if you would just help us to be courageous enough to let you in. some of us <clears throat> perhaps we've let you in but we have not been 
holding what you've never seen of. You've been trying to, to avoid it, to deflect it. You attempted to blame. us to just listen to you. Lord Jesus, I believe there's a healing that can come us individually that will eventually provide healing collectively when we spill out into our community when we allow your love to touch the hurts the wounds the scars That we have fought so hard to protect and to hide from the enemy. So whatever it is that holds us back, Whatever it is that we try to hide even from you. In your love and in your grace, in your mercy, your compassion. Help us simply to lay it at your feet. Let go.
Spirit keeps speaking, keep healing, keep drawing us to Jesus. Jesus is the center of God's plan to transform, to restore us and this broken world. And as we are restored, you and I are central to the Holy Spirit's mission to proclaim the story of what Jesus can, can and will do to everybody who will listen. Every man, woman, child of Bay County and beyond needs to hear the story of what Jesus can do. Holy Spirit works in and through us to do far more than we could ever imagine or ask or dream. He does it deeply and gently. He renews our minds, transforms our lives, and he touches people through us. You are sent to love everyone, everywhere, every day. Go. You are sent with Jesus. Thank <laughs> you.